Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series, presented by TELUS. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. This show is brought to you by Métis Nation BC, TELUS, and Jelly Marketing. Welcome to another edition of the Métis Speaker Series. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Arlette, who is a Métis Canadian folk musician, songwriter, and social activist. Arlette, thank you for being here. Hello, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to hear my story, Darian. No, thank you. For sure. Why don't you um, introduce yourself? Tell me a bit about um, your parents and, and kind of where you come from. My name is Arlette Alcock. I was born in the Kootenays in a town called Trail, but I grew up in Salmo until I was about seven. My parents left the prairies. My dad was from Manitoba and my mom was from Manitoba. My dad's from Saskatchewan. They didn't want us to grow up in the prairies because there was so much racism towards Métis people there. And uh, my mom is Soto and my dad is Cree. So I'm from the Cree Soto Métis Nation, born in 1958. My mother was Rosalind Chartrand. She is from the Pine Creek Band at St. Laurent in Manitoba. And my dad is from the Brett, Little Black Bear brand. And uh, I, I grew up in Trail, as I said. And, um, but in Selmo, we were really insulated. And uh, my father worked at the mine, the HB mines out there. So uh, my mom grew up in the residential school. She was put in the residential school when she was two because she was orphaned. And um, they found her froze her mother frozen in the ditch in St. Laurent. And they just took my mom out of my grandmother's frozen arms and put her right into the residential school in St. Anne's. And then she lived at St. Anne's for 15 years. And then after that, she started doing heroin and she did 17 years as a heroin addict in and out of prison. And she told me it wasn't a very hard or a big leap from the residential school to the prison and then after that, of course, she spent many years in um, uh, the nut houses. Well, they call them the nut houses. I'm sure that's not the correct, politically correct term, but in the um, asylums, insane asylums, I don't know. But anyways, because of the years and years of torture and abuse at the residential school. So, but uh, when I was growing up, my parents taught us to be very, very proud of being Métis and to be, um, even though in the 50s and 60s, if you were Métis, you were, uh, there was quite a bit of open racism towards you. And um, I started singing and writing songs when I was about 13. My brother got me a harmonica and my father bought me a uh, guitar because I was starting to do drugs and I was doing acid and I was like out of control. And so that really sidetracked me. Like, I really liked doing that, writing songs. And it was a very good way for me to, um, 
like get my anger and my frustration and negative feelings and put it into something positive, which is uh, it basically saved my life as a child. If I hadn't had music, I don't know. I would have probably gone right off the rails. Um, and, and tell but, me about your, your songs now, what you're, what you're writing about and, and where people can find your music. Oh, oh, my music is all over the internet and you can go to my website too. It's arletmusic.com. But I'm on Spotify and CD Baby and YouTube and you just type in Arlette Alcock and there I am all over the place. <laughs> and uh, wow. as I said, I'm 64. I'm the same age as Madonna. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. And, I know. And, and tell me about your songs and, and what they've meant to you and what you, what you typically write about in your songs. Well, all of my songs are usually written about personal experiences, but often I, they're all quite fictional. Like I write about it, the, for instance, this last CD that we put out last year is called Midnight Mass Graves. And that is um, those that were that terminology means like it was Midnight Mass and the Mass Graves. It's a, a double entendre there. And it's about, of course, the, mur the murdered children that they found in the graves all across Canada, because I wrote that song in 2009 when they first found the mass graves in my mother's residential school at St. Anne's. And uh, and then we recorded it last year because of what happened in Kamloops. But it just it doesn't seem to ever stop. You know, so that was that song that we wrote about that. But then we also wrote, you know, a happy song, too, about Kelowna and, you know, all the beautiful things that happen here. And uh, but my last CD that I produced last year and put out was fairly serious. And it contained a lot of songs about like one girl that was a um, a prostitute and another a song about they were very serious topics. So when I was in the studio this summer. Thanks to the First People's Cultural Council, I was able to go to work on my second TD in two years, a CD every year. And um, I was in the studio this year with my producer, Janet Panic, and her husband, Will Mason. And they take my songs, and they're pretty good songs, and they turn them into these really great songs. And uh, in, in the studio this year, we wrote, we're working on all happy, upbeat, and positive songs, which is a huge, um, like, I, I never go there. I don't write those kind of songs, but they've been sort of percolating for a couple of decades, you know, and then we put them all together. And this is probably the happiest CD that I've, <laughs> I've ever written because <laughs> I'm going to do another one in 2024. And it's all about like songs like, you know, Working Man and a union song, Hey Emma. And then there'll be songs about, um, uh, uh, let's see, all, all very serious, back to the serious issues again. And I honestly don't know where these songs come from. I really found that when I was writing Midnight Mass Graves, that it was the children were speaking through me. And um, that happens with a lot of the songs that I write, that I have people that that they speak through me. Like um, I'm writing a song right now about the opioid crisis and uh, my own beautiful son. He was 44. He would have been 45 this year. He died on January 6, 2020 from uh, an accidental overdose of, of fentanyl that was in cocaine and because I don't do hard drugs and my mother did hard drugs for 17 years. And she told us about prison and she told us about residential school. We, my brother and I never, ever did hard drugs. We never stuck needles in our arms. And we, we tried, she was really firm about um, making your ancestors proud. So that was what we did. We did, never did hard drugs and we tried to do good with our lives and make good with our lives. And the reason that that happened with my son 
is that um, when I was 15, I got pregnant and I gave him up for adoption. So I lost him then. And he was raised by a woman who is now, I call her my sister mother, and we're very, very close. But she came from a very straight white family, and they never had any addiction problems like that, like we did. So all of my children that I raised, they all know not to do hard drugs because the stories my mother told me, I passed on to them. So none of my kids do hard drugs. But my son, John Guy, because he was adopted and raised and given the most beautiful life that a child could ever imagine, um, he didn't understand that the hard drugs would get him, that we come from a long, long line of addictions. And so he passed away. So I lost him twice. I lost him when he was adopted. And then I lost him when he died. But I met his mother at the funeral of my son and we became very close. And I love her to this day. Her name is Leslie Hoya. And I just got to send out a, I love you, Leslie, out to her because I wouldn't have got through these hard times recently if it hadn't been for her. She's been a real advocate and a friend and an ally. And um, that's what, another thing that my the, the new songs will be about. But a lot of them too, like I said, will be working songs. Like one song I wrote, it's called Working Man. Mm-hmm. And it's, I swear to God, Woody Guthrie was singing right through me. Like I, the the song was written in 10 minutes and it's just such a great song. It'll be on the next CD too. So amazing. That's- so much, so much to unpack here. Can we, <laughs> maybe do you want to tell me about stories maybe that your mother told you about residential schools and, and, and stories that you want other people to pass on, to hear and know about and for us to uh, record here for, for people to, to learn. Okay. My mother was a firm believer in um, your truth is your protector and that you go through your life. Like if I would go to school and the bullies would get me and they'd beat me up and they'd call me dirty Indian and push my face in the sand, I would have to fight back, physically fight back. Because if I went home and I was all beat up and my mom said, what happened? I said, well, the bullies beat me up and called me a dirty Indian and I had to fight back. Well, that was what I had to do because if I didn't fight back, my mom would lay a licking on me, man. And I'd rather get beat up by the bullies than my mom. But she wouldn't like my mom never really struck us. She just like, give us hell. eh? But my because of her, she was a strong alcoholic, too. She she only um, raised a hand to my brother and I when she was drinking. But all the rest of the time, she was so kind and gentle and good and generous. And she was like the epitome of all beautiful things that a Métis woman could be. When she wasn't drinking, she was so amazing and wonderful. She taught my brother and I everything. And um, all a lot of her uh, qualities that she had also remind me of a very dear friend of mine who's helped me so much in my life and my music. And her name is um, Andrea Menard. And she was, she's always been like a good friend, eh? <laughs> just helping me up all the time. And she does that. She's famous for her kindness and her goodness. And she's another prime example of a wonderful Métis person and what they can do and how high we can go. And a lot of my songs are like that, you know, establish a healthy daily routine. Don't do hard drugs, take care of yourself, you know, and put those anger and negative feelings into your art. If it's visual art or dancing or singing, like don't let the, don't let them turn you into a stereotype, you know, don't, don't give into that. Be proud and make your ancestors proud. It's great. It's great advice. Was there any um, you know, stories or memories that you'd want to pass on from your mom for people to hear about or what it was like for her growing up? And what's, uh... um, well, she she had a very difficult life, but be, because of that, she was able to really t- to tell my brother and teach my brother and I, you know, that 
we got to learn from our mistakes and keep our priorities straight and be responsible. And, you know, and what, another thing that she taught us too, is we were just before she died in 1988, we were standing on the street on Hastings street and she started to cry and she said, Oh, I've been such a terrible mother, you know? And we said, no, you didn't, you're not like, I could be that prostitute there. And, you know, my, your son could be that guy there that's laying on the street. You did good with us. You know, you told us the truth and you made us proud of who we are because many people back then, they just passed. eh? They didn't, um, they say they would pretend they were Italian or that they were white and they would not admit to being Métis. And then you go through your whole life suffering for being Métis. And then all of a sudden you get to 2022 and it's cool to be Métis. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> so yeah. I guess all the suffering was worth it. <laughs> wow. Wow. So when people are listening to this, how would you say the schools, the residential schools, has affected your life and your children's life? And what would you say has kind of been a, an effect of that that you're that you want people to know about today? Well, because my mother only, my mother only got grade three education, and my father was only entitled to grade five, and then they were immediately put to work, of course. And uh, as a result of that, my parents strongly told my brother and I, taught us every day get an education, get an education. Even when I came back from the unwed mother's home after giving up my child. I went back and I finished my grade 12 and graduated because I knew it was the only way I was going to get out of trail. And mm. so I had to, I had to finish school and, um, you know, do good with my life. And I went on to college and, you know, right now, actually I'm 64 years old and I'm going to become a virtual assistant at OK College. And my sweetheart is 77. He likes to say he's dating a college girl. <laughs> That's awesome. That is great. That is great. So funny. Uh, so yeah, and because I got to do something with the end of my life here when I'm, I got to make some money somehow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so virtual assistant seemed like the good thing to do. Yeah, like yeah. I'm really enjoying going to school, back to school. And it's, and I never knew I was intelligent. You know, I I went through my whole life thinking I was pretty dumb because you know I gave into a lot of the stereotypes that are perpetrated on Aboriginal and Métis and First Nations women that, you know, the colonialization has made it so like, for instance, um, there was a many years that women were not per allowed to play drums. And that was one of the things that colonialists took away from women was the act of drumming. And now I can tell you across Canada, hmm. women are waking up their drums all hmm. across Canada. We will not be held down that way. And we will, our drums will be heard. Anyway, no. <laughs> just thought I'd give you that little pep talk there. No, I love it. I love. Are you seeing? Are you putting any drums in your music and kind of your songs, or do you? What, what's kind oh, of music you with? betcha. Yeah. My um, my best, my percussionist is named Kendra Langrish. Yeah. And she's also my backup vocalist on all my last two CDs. She does all the backup vocals, and uh, she's just wonderful. And also my daughter Rose Rose Beach and my granddaughter Rihanna Tawara are also on my recently released song, which of course is called Kimawan. That was just released like last week, and it looks like this. Oh, that's beautiful. Why don't you describe what's on the cover there for those that are listening to the audio? Okay, that's Christy Belcourt, the famous Métis beading artist and visual artist. She yep. is, has given me permission to use the images on both of my CD. The first one was called um, Messages from the Spirits, and that's the one I put on Midnight Mass Graves. And this, is, this image is called Joy, and mm. Joy is going to be on the, the 
CD called Birch Lake. And Birch wow. Lake itself is a song written for my friends who live up in a commune up in um, northern Saskatchewan, because every right. single province in Canada has a place called Birch Lake. Hmm. So this one was in Saskatchewan. And these are the women that helped me to get away from my uh, my bad part of my life, my black leather, negative, um, you know, destructive self. Like these women, they were a lot like uh, Andrea Menard, helpful and kind and uh, positive and lift uplifting, you know, and, and I wrote this song for them and it's called Birch Lake. And it's, it's one of my all time favorite songs. It's going to be on the happy CD, which will be released at, probably in January as a full five song CD. <laughs> it's amazing. Why don't you tell me the lyrics from Midnight Mass Grave? Can you tell us about those lyrics and kind of what you wrote there and, and, and what you want people to hear from that song? Okay. Uh, well, Midnight Mass Graves was, um, it goes midnight mass graves, brutal execution, not Afghanistan or Kosovo or the Nazi solution. Oh, Canada at thy church's door where they remain buried for a century or more. And it was um, of a lot of my songs. I start them as poems and then I turn them into songs. And then it goes on to talk about my granddaughter. And then I go on to say uh, where the their, um, there is no place for their tears to fall except on that rocky ground. Others were buried without a sound. I wept when I heard who they found. And then the last verse says, barefoot in October's frost, witness mother's mournful loss. Baby is blue, sign of the cross, independent inquiry launched, midnight mass graves. So it's not a cheerful song and it's not, you know, it's a very hard song to sing and a hard song to listen to it, but, you know, write it, I had to do and listen to it. I had to do because this is my job in this lifetime is to write these songs and to make sure that they're, they're out there and that people know what's going on with Métis people. And uh, because they'll be here long after I'm gone. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And, and what are you still seeing now? You, you know, the awareness of the graves, you know, what happened to both your parents? How are you processing it now? And, and, and what does it mean to you now? And, and what should people be doing going forward? Well, we just have to keep on like it's one person said to me, well, I, I don't want to hear about that. And I said, that's good. You know, if you don't want to hear about it, we won't talk about it. We'll talk about something else. But, you know, it is something that's happening. But I don't force people to listen to it. If you want to know what's going on, people are going to listen. Like that song, Midnight Mass Graves, it went to number 15 on the Aboriginal music radio stations charts last year. And that was because a lot of people listened to it and a lot of people wanted to listen to it. And I don't force what I believe and what I sing on anybody. It's just, this is what I do. And this is my, it used to be my, it's, I guess it's still my hobby. And um, it's what I do. And if I don't do it, then I'm uh, disrespecting my ancestors and I'm, I'm not doing the job that the great spirit has given me to do with this life. Wow. Uh, what's another song where the lyrics mean a lot to you? And it was part of your processing of, of the residential schools. Well, I would have to say that it was uh, the last song on my last CD. It's called blue tear tattoo. And it's about a story about when I worked at the public library in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And I don't know if you've ever been to that town, but it's pretty rough. And uh, there was a guy in town there that was marking all the girls like and uh, using them for um, sex trade workers. But he would mark them with a blue tear tattoo on their face. And this is the same guy that was um, arrested for uh, murdering that woman, setting her on fire and killing her in a parking lot. And uh, 
it was about a girl that was on the phone and she's like, cook them. I need help, you know. And it's uh, probably one of the saddest songs I ever wrote, but it's about, it's hopeful too, because, because she's going to find help, you know, she's going to, she's going to find her place because she's not going to continue on with that life because she's got to cook them. So that's a pretty meaningful song to me too, but all my songs, they're all like my little children, you know, yeah. they, they all mean something to me. They're important, and, but they're, but they have to be put out there. So that's what I work towards all the time. And we all know how um, financially feasible uh, music career is. <laughs> you know, they say, you know how to make a million dollars in the music industry Well, you start with 2 million. That's, that's great. That's a good, I've never heard that one. Wow. So being Métis, what does it look like in your music? Like, how do you see your Métis-ness kind of influence uh, the songs or instruments that you use? Well, one person that I worked with on my last CD, his name was Gay Delorme. He wrote the song called 40 Below. I don't give a got a heater in my truck and I'm off to the rodeo. And uh, so Gay Delorme wrote that song. He produced my last CD. It was called Wolf Girl. That was his nickname for me. <laughs> it was called me Wolf Girl. And But Gay Delorme passed away there a couple of years ago. And um, he his... His Métis-ness was different from mine because he was raised with all the Métis-ness all around him, you know, and I never had that. I was raised in a, in a white society and just tortured for it. And, and uh, one of the things that Gay used to always say to me was, I said, it must have been so hard to grow up with the name Gay. And he said, it was really hard growing up with that name. And he said, and I'm going to change it to Faye. And he just said, like, so, so, like, deadpan that I'd have to run over and take a look at his face because he was always making jokes like that. I think I've got off topic. What was the question? My oh, maintenance? Yeah. How does it come across in your music, whether it's like the instruments you use or the songs? Or oh, the, I see what you mean. Oh, yeah. Drums. And yeah. and we've got like, um, I don't know if you know Cheryl LaRondell. She recently won the Governor General's Award for her art. She's also my music label, My Own Music. And Cheryl LaRondell is um, also the speaker and the keeper of the Cree language. And her and Joseph Natawa helped me with all of my translation. Because on this CD that's coming out, there's going to be about 13 new Cree words that are introducing, especially in Kimawan, which is means rain in Cree, and it's a respectful rain song, and it's a anthropomorphization of um, rain to turn it into a person, and so um, my Métis comes out that way, and um, I I work and hire all usually all Métis women, like my backup vocalist is Métis woman, my drummer, my record producer, my record label, all Métis women, all of them in every way that I can. The lady that's letting me work in this studio here, a beautiful Métis woman, that's that's um, Greta and her um, counterpart, uh, Shane, they're uh, so kind to let me use the studio and um and, and being generous and being respectful and protecting the young. Like the one song that I wrote, it's called Wolf Girl. And it's the line, it is respect the women and protect the young. And that's the way that I was brought up. Like my father, like one time um, I said something mean to my mom and he said, you don't talk to your mother like that. He said, you don't know what she's been through, you know, and that she's as, as beautiful as she is today and the, the torture and horror that she's been through. So, um, you know, I, I was taught to be really respectful towards my elders and, and to treat other people with respect. My mother taught me that, you know, to, to love it and, and respect people and respect the women and protect the young. 
that's the most important thing that I learned because my parents vetted everybody that came near my brother and I, we were never, ever sexually assaulted. And when I grew up, I found out like seven out of 10 of my friends were sexually assaulted as children. And I wasn't one of them because my parents really, really protected us from Mm -hmm. that. And I thank them every day for that. Tell me about this. When you go, you, you mentioned the, the studio go into and kind of the people you work with. Can you tell someone's Métis or how do you, how do you find out that someone's Métis besides kind of their, them wearing the sash everywhere? What do you, what do you notice about Métis? <laughs> um, well, there, we have the Métis uh, Community Association here and it's Cheryl Dodman. She runs that. And I know most of the Métis people in town because we have like, you know, teas and we're going to be having a performance here too, actually on Saturday with, uh, the, the very famous um, Métis singer-songwriter and a bass player who is named Patrick Alexander. And uh, so the Métis Association here, you can tell the Métis people because they got the Métis earrings. And sometimes, you know, there's all kinds of little pieces of regalia that you can see that might signify that the person is a Métis. And also, like I said, Cone is a really small town. You get to know everybody after a while. <laughs> and you know who's Métis and who isn't. <laughs> Awesome. Is there anything else that you want to leave with listeners and viewers about uh, your music or anything else you want them to know about kind of the, the residential um, schools? Oh yeah. Uh, there's some books that I wanted to say. Yeah. Well, there's one book that I, I really I highly recommend and it's called um, neither Indian princesses or easy squaws. Okay. Incredible. And it's an incredible book. It will change your life. And another book that I really want to recommend is called Firewater. Okay. Firewater. It, yeah, it was it was written by um, Harold Johnson, and he's he's passed away last year. But it will help you give you a whole new perspective about drinking and colonization. So, wow. like, fight against colonization. I say, quit drinking. <laughs> wow. right, thank you so much for being on thank the show. Thank you, you for sharing your so stories. Much. I cannot and thank you enough for having me, Darian. You're just a great host. Thanks a lot. For sure. And we'll make sure we put links to your music in the show notes it's online or if you're listening on uh, kind of your podcast listening platform. And Arlette, thank you so much for joining us on the Make Tea Speaker Series. And we'll see you next time on the show. So grateful. Thank you very much. Bye for now. This has been the Make Tea Speaker Series podcast presented by TELUS. And I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to Métis Nation BC and TELUS for making this possible with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis news at metispodcastseries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash official L-U-V- L-Y-F official and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you, Marcy, for listening. Mm-hmm.